Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. Um, I would say populism is a problem because it has inherently this us versus them dynamic to it, where it's the good guys versus the bad guys. The people, the working people, are always the good guys. The elites or the establishment are always the bad guys. The um, the people are selfless and moral and want to help everybody and they just want the best for everybody. The elites in the establishment are selfish and immoral and evil and they only want for themselves. They only take, they do not give. Do you want a great website like this? This is my podcast website where I direct the audience to come to watch the content, listen to the content, read the blogs, and much, much more. If you want to have your own customizable podcast website, then join my affiliate link in my description to sign up for something called PodPage, and they can help you customize an easy podcast website for your personal podcast. Sign up to get a discount now. Again, use the link in my description to join PodPage now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Purple Political Breakdown. I'm your host, Rodell Lewis. We're back at it again. Now, we're supposed to have a guest on to talk about populism and its potential damaging effects that it may have on America. So before we dive into that and... We'll wait for the guest to appear. I do want to kind of point out a, a few things that the audience should know. If you're watching on Roku.tv, appreciate you. If you're not, go watch the full video version on Roku.tv, of course. You can check out the website to see the audio format. Contact me via email to be a guest or support the show with Patreon, of course. www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com Dot com. I do appreciate everybody who supports the show as we continue to strive with the notion that we can find political solutions without political bias. So many great conversations in store for the future. So if you are enjoying it, like and subscribe on the YouTube. And of course, rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Now, like I said, we are waiting for the guests to arrive, but I guess I think something that may be appropriate for the audience so they can kind of be in tune to the conversation, the topic of uh, conversation, of course, is definitions. I think definitions are so important in these discussions, so I'm going to help you out. Since we're going to be talking about populism, what is populism exactly? Well, Let's just read off what populism is, shall we? Populism is a political movement that attempts to appeal to the people by convincing them that its leaders alone represent them and their concerns that are being ignored by a real or perceived elite establishment. Since the late 19th century, the label populist has been applied to a range of politicians, political parties, and movements often negatively by their opponents. So this definitely should sound familiar to people, especially considering recent politicians, but we continue. While political and social scientists have developed several different definitions of populism, they increasingly explain populist forces in terms of their ideas or discourse. This growingly common ideational, ideational approach presents populism as a cosmic struggle between the morally good people and a corrupt and self-serving group of conspiring elites. 
Populism typically define the people based on their socioeconomic class, ethnicity, or nationality. Populists define the elite as an amorphous entity made of a political, economic, cultural, and media establishment that places its own interests along with those of other interest groups, such as immigrants, labor unions, and large corporations, over the interests of the people. The ideational approach of further holds that the, these basic characteristics of populism are often found in other ideologies, such as nationalism, classical liberalism, or socialism. In a manner, in this manner, populists can be found anywhere along the political spectrum, allowing for both conservative and liberal populism. As we see today, we definitely see populism growing in sentiment as the trust of the establishment begins continues to decrease. We got people like that are Trump supporters who think the election is fake, election was fraudulent, that the uh, it was uh, basically corrupt all the way through and the elites wanted Donald Trump not to be in office. And then we have people on the left who still think that the, that the establishment, that the, the rich elite that are controlling everything and making society worse for wear, and we should, we should ultimately have more socialist policies you know, such as, you know, universal health care or other things, of course, that appeal to the people more. So you, you see it on both sides when it comes to the liberals and conservatives in terms of the increasing uh, effort for, to kind of uplift or at the very least downlift, if we're making up a new word, the government and its influence on the people. I already kind of did like initial introductions, so we'll kind of just start off very simply. Can, can you introduce yourself? Tell us what you're about. Tell us what the show is about. All that good stuff. Okay. So yeah, my name's Tom. I go by Tom Fuller. show on YouTube and all other platforms. On my show, we do mostly debates. It's just a debate platform. So we'll cover all sorts of different topics. We'll go over drama. We'll go over political issues. We'll go over all sorts of stuff. And then we have people on to debate those topics uh, later on in the show. We, I moderate a lot of debates, host a lot of panels, uh, just pretty much all, all debates. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And you said the Tom Foolery show on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. So be sure to check out his platform, of course, if you're listening to the podcast. And before we kind of dive into kind of your positions and all that, I usually start off, you know, with some current events. Now, I didn't really have any current events to kind of point out right now. I know a few things are going on, such as like the uh, there's a meeting, General Assembly in New York with a lot of the political leaders that is going on. I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Of course, the Ukrainian president is going to be showing up. So I'm sure the discussion is going to be very much revolved around the Ukraine uh, and Russia, you know, circumstance, conflict. Um, I know as of right now, there is a little bit of a trial regarding Ukraine and Russia that R Ukraine is saying that Russia's defense for invading was that Russia thinks that Ukraine was genociding the Russian people that uh, that occupied certain places in Ukraine, certain territory in Ukraine. So because of that, Russia invaded to kind of defend its people, and that is their justification for the invasion. Ukraine saying that's BS, there's no way that happened. So we're seeing how that kind of works out on the international courts and if Russia is going to get that um, 
I guess not excuse because if Russia is kind of found out to be right, I feel like that will shift the tone of people's interpretation of the war completely on its head. So what, what do you think about that? I'm curious. I mean, so far, Russia has changed their reasoning numerous times. I feel like they're well known for just putting out information, uh, just whatever, just so that they can confuse people as much as possible. They've admitted this to this numerous times is that like it's a strategic propaganda is that they just want to put out as much as uh, as much information as possible um, so that people are always arguing with each other and that everybody's always confused as to what's happening. So that like, it's not so much about like, we're going to put out this information so that people, this specific group thinks this specific thing that will hold, hopefully lead to this specific end result. It's more so just confuse people as much as possible. So even if they did have a justified reason, I don't know that we'll ever find out about it. That's very fair. That's very fair. Um, with that said, we also got another thing. Uh, there's assembly hearing regarding the uh, investigation on Hunter Biden. Now, I haven't watched it of yet. I'm sure I'm going to watch it in the future and probably post a video on my YouTube channel if you all want to check it out, of course. But in this investigation, they grilled uh, the lead investigator on whether or not he was doing a just job. Obviously, we know that Republicans are kind of a conservative Republicans think that there is a certain level of favoritism in comparison to their investigation on Trump versus their investigation on Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. So I'm very curious to see the uh, how that kind of played out personally when I when I watch it. Um, and those are important stuff, of course. So I didn't those are general things that the people need to know. So we'll just kind of dive into um, the next segment which is called deep or deeper. So this tends to be a very deep question that makes your brain kind of running a little bit. And the question here, the context behind the question, funny enough, I was watching an anime and I saw this series, this, this character and they were immortal and they were a very promiscuous. And it made me think, especially current uh, society and culture, with a lot of Americans kind of buying into the sexual promiscuity more so now, especially con compared to back in the day. And I was thinking to myself, like, that allowed freedom, that allowed time to kind of explore a little bit, probably plays very much into people being much more promiscuous in society. So my question for you, Tom, to kind of set things up, if you were immortal, would you be more sexually promiscuous to the point where you would try things that you never would have tried in your current lifestyle as of right now? Um, hmm. I don't know that being immortal would play as much into it or being mortal. I think that it's probably more so about like the negative ramifications of like having children that, you know, I'm not prepared to take care of or, um, or having getting STDs that, you know, would probably uh, be inconvenient. Um, so I don't know that being immortal would actually change being promiscuous, but I suppose if you're asking more so about like, trying things that I'm limited on today that I wouldn't be limited on, then I would probably maybe take it a little bit slower and <laughs> not 
not rush into things as much, not feel like I, I'm pressed to get things done or to learn things as quickly if I was immortal. See, the, the interesting thing to me, and obviously becoming immortal is impossible unless medical technology gets ridiculous sometime in the next hundred years, hundreds of years. But my thing is, I'm curious on the on people's aspect when they really think about it. If you're living for like benchmark 900 years and, you know, you've done a lot of things, you know, you've you have pretty much freedom to kind of live your life. And obviously, when it comes to starting a family, we know that there's certain ramifications for that is you will outlive your children. So you just want to explore for a couple of hundred years, you know, do it with a lot of women if you're a man and have fun with that who's to say that a person won't go like you know what yolo and just like see a man go like bro i'm not i'm not like that but like i might try it out so i feel like people if they're bored enough may just go down that road you don't think so um i don't know i mean i think that sexual attraction is pretty complicated i think most of the time where i I don't think it's easy to try to get off to something that's not attractive to you. I don't think that it's easy to like to get going when something doesn't get you going. And so I don't know if people are able to just like turn things on and off on a whim just because they made the decision to. See, the, the reason why I'm able to apply it to current society is very much so that the, the nature of se sexual attraction has changed so much in current society because of porn. Right. Simply, people would be very simply attracted to certain things when it comes to the opposite sex, you know, breasts, you know, a good ass, you know, what I'm saying hips, of course, or looks or face. But now because of porn, the the benchmark of what people are becoming attracted to and that may play in part into sex addiction or porn addiction has grown because of their access to said thing to the point where we have people in society today that are attracted to some very, very strange stuff via furries, via, you know, I'm not going into categories for y'all. Y'all know the weird categories. I don't even have to say it for you, okay? So the, those weird categories out there, and initially, if they never watched porn, they probably never would have been attracted to that. But since they dove into that road and they had the freedom, they had the time, and they what they were into wasn't enough and it kept on growing in terms of peak interest and the dopamine effect it makes sense to me how that and the reason why i could apply it to society today on why current society is becoming more promiscuous is because nowadays people have more free time more ability to kind of dive into porn all the time more um freedom to explore their sexual nature so that in my opinion, is why people are kind of going down that road more so in society today versus back in the day. So that's kind of uh, my take on it. Anything? Um, yeah, I don't. So I, I think that you can obviously uh, socialize yourself into some sort of attraction if you look at it enough. I don't know that the furry people haven't always existed in some sense and just didn't have a way to congregate because they didn't have the internet they didn't know about one another because it's still very rare so it's unlikely that somebody in my town who's a furry has another person in this town that's also a furry the only way that they can find other furries is through the internet and these like 
you know, the one that's in the other town. And so it's possible that these people have just always existed to some sense. But I also think it like because of the Internet, you're probably able to socialize yourself into certain attractions that you wouldn't have been capable of being attracted to before. Um, and so it's possible that, yeah, the, uh, there's a lot more of these people today than there would be otherwise. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's dive into um, finding out who you are a little bit more, Tom, in terms of your go for it. I'm sorry. My computer says my Internet is off. I'm still here. I'm still. Yeah, I'm you're here for me. Yeah. Chat, you guys can still see me. OK, this is odd. All right. my I, If it cuts off, I'll be right back. I don't know what's going on. This is weird. <laughs> that yeah, That's pretty strange, but. I know how it'd be sometimes. Sometimes the inner just be like, you know what? I'm just going to screw you over today I, just because I feel like it. So I'm not mad at it. But you're good right now. You're good. So okay. I think this is important. So for future guests as well, uh, the people are listening, the future guests will – I'll try to make it a better understanding on, on their position so you can really get a feel of who the person is other than their general background. So we got some uh, baseline kind of questions to kind of find this stuff out. But the first things first, I know you said you've done, um, you know, political panels, debates in general, moderated a couple of them, of course. Uh, so for you, my question to start out is what do you think about the current state of politics in America? Um, well, I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about populism is because I think it is. And. I'm guessing the internet went out right when we you're about to get into the good stuff. Uh, I'm going to cut it out so we can. Okay. I, all I heard was I'm going to cut it out. So apparently, I, I guess I'm back now. Oh, yeah, my, you're good. My you're stream good go. is down, though. It says my stream's down. I don't know if I if it if it's actually down or not. <laughs> no yeah, you went out for a little bit. So I'm guessing in a brief moment, it just cut out for you. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, it looks like chat's saying I'm back. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah. So like the reason that I I wanted to talk about populism is because I do think that it's affecting the political zeitgeist today more than anything else. But currently, the problem I I see mostly is that we just have too many problems. Or sorry, we have too many uh, sources. Like there's too many sources to go through, too many options to get your information from too many different sects, too many different, uh, um, too many different ways to categorize yourself. And, uh, there's so much information that people can put whatever they want out there without any sort of, um, without anyone holding them accountable for when they get things wrong. And, it's causing a lot of uh, confusion with what is actually happening within politics where I can get on the internet and just tell people, you know, some specific thing is happening and everybody believes it and they all start running around saying this thing is happening. And so I, it like it, it's an odd day to live where you can, where we're not actually sure what's going on. We're not getting our information from you know very specific places like back in the day when they had three television stations you know they all had the same information they were all getting the same news and they all uh had uh, pretty much a consensus on what it was that they believed and that's not the case today so we have a lot more disagreement because we have a lot more people who i think are more likely to be confused 
Uh, that's a very good answer. And I think that is something to be said in terms of um, the social media one being able to potentially get fed into an echo chamber. We know that is what current social media does. You go to you go follow the certain people that you want to listen to. The algorithm will push very specific content in front of you and you can mute and block people and all that stuff. So you get put in an echo chamber that aligns with your specific beliefs. And then the selection of information that you absorb is something that you can choose yourself, which ultimately will turn you into a very specific type of individual thinking that you're more informed than you are. And that kind of begs the, the next discussion, because when people get pushed in these different sections that you're referring to, that makes uh, the, the discourse and the conversation of politics very uh, tense, as, as we know it. And we've seen throughout history because it's actually funny you know i've seen like different you know political leaders or different people talk about the current state of politics and you know it's hard for me to really say hey is this current the current age the the worst age in terms of political discourse or are we just living in the era so we think that it's the worst because other eras people said that all the time oh this is the worst this is the most divided we ever been but with the addition of social media and the internet, it begs a very interesting question. So in terms of political discourse today, do you think it's the most divided it has ever been in your opinion? I don't know about ever. I would think that when we have a civil war, that's probably the most divided we've ever yeah, been. Very but, valid. Um, I do think that we are becoming more divided. I think that both the left and the right are moving farther away from the center um, within the Overton window, uh, we have more and more people leaning progressive on the left. We have more and more people moving towards like a paleoconic sorts of beliefs on the right. And I would say, you know, just a few years ago, everybody was either neocon or paleocon. And so, or sorry, not paleocon, neocon or, uh, or neolib. And so they were all fairly close together and fairly moderate. And I think that both sides at this point are kind of moving farther away from one another. And it's probably becoming more and more divisive, but I don't know about the most divisive ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Civil War is a very good answer for the most divisive that, that the country has ever been. I agree. Um, with that said, in terms of um, us and our, at the very least, in the era of peace, I could definitely see that this current way that uh, discourse is moving is definitely very destructive, especially when we dive into the topic of populism and how people are treating the government as a whole and the establishment. So these are very important things to consider. So I guess the, the, the final thing before we dive into our main topic at hand, and in your opinion, and I'm going to make sure that I'm asking everybody because we've brought our own solutions on the best way to kind of mediate these circumstances. In your opinion, what should be the best way we are able to handle political discourse, handle trying to understand people and handle trying to come to the most one of the most important things in our country and government coming to that compromise to find these solutions so we could push the country forward. What do you think is the most important thing we should do for that? I think, uh, I mean, obviously, the, I, 
I'm insanely biased in this area, but I think it is what I'm doing. I think it's like, you know, having debates, having representatives from specific ideologies come to represent that ideology and those viewpoints to have conversations, to have debates, and to kind of dig into the nuance of where those disagreements are, why we have those disagreements, what values lead to those disagreements, or what uh, what facts we disagree on to decide whether or not we actually disagree at all. I think that actually having the conversations and having the discourse is probably the best thing possible. I even think that they should probably start doing this in Congress more is having actual debates over topics that are televised to where we can see everybody having their disagreements and having their debates. And um, I think that lots of times people feel like they don't have representation. They don't feel like they're being heard. And when they're not heard and they're just pushed off into a corner, this makes them feel like they've, they already don't have a voice. This uh, leads to extremism and uh, makes them feel like there's no, there's nothing left for them to do. You can think of like Nick Fuentes and the Groypers where they've been banned everywhere. They don't really have voices anywhere. They're not capable of being part of the conversation. And so they feel like they have the truth, but nobody's allowing it to be heard. If you hear something, but nobody's actually pushing back against it, instead, they've just shoved you off somewhere else. There's no way for you to get out of that belief. There's no way for you to get pulled away. There's no way for you to actually hear the truth if nobody's engaging with what you believe and you're all just sitting around in your echo chambers, just talking about the things that that you all already agree on. Yeah, that's uh, very, I very much agree, very much so co-sign a lot of the things you were saying that kind of simplify what we've always said on this podcast and what I've always said on this podcast is that the two most important things that people need to do, especially moving forward and having content creators like Tom and other content creators out there to kind of incentivize these uh, discussions are having the conversation with people you disagree with and increasing your perspective, your experience on different things that go on in society. Because when when it comes down to these people on the far left and far right, a lot of this tends to kind of follow around certain levels of ignorance and a certain levels of uh, lack of access of either information or conversation to really challenge your ideals and challenge your beliefs. So conversation, experience, perspective, discussion, and yeah, I like the idea of political leaders really going up there and, and debating, not just primary debates to get elected, you know, not just hearings to just question and grill whoever they're grilling. Now it's like, OK, we got to pass this bill. Why do we have to pass this bill? Put a camera right at there. It's like, all right, debate. Why should you pass that bill? I like the idea. You know, we'll put them on the, the main stage and see if they make any sense. So uh, those are important things to consider, of course. And. I do have one more thing, actually. Since we are the purple political breakdown, I think this is necessary to bring out. Purple is a very important color. Now, I am personally the only person I know that is that considers himself a moderate. And the only reason why I say I'm a moderate or centrist is because I don't really align for the other side. So I'm just going to align in the middle. But my biggest issue sometimes can be that certain moderates and centrists don't have a position they're just neutral all the time so it can be kind of annoying but with that said do you believe we can have a third party that actually has influence that can help mediate these these problems 
where people don't have to kind of align themselves with the crazy left blue haired lefties or align themselves with the crazy Trumpers and just be like, oh, there's a third party. You know, what? I'm going to vote for them. Maybe they'll kind of align with my more realistic uh, beliefs. You think a third party can solve a lot of these issues? A a Uh, actual good third party, not just one to take away votes. I think all a third party can do is pressure the people who are already representing the main two parties, Republicans and Democrats. All they can do is pressure them into taking on some of their policy positions that are a little bit more popular. In a two-party system, a third party really just does not have a chance. There's no real way they could ever get elected especially with like how uh how uh especially with how big the population is as well and how everybody kind of grows up in households where if you grow up in a republican household you're like 70 times more likely to be a republican if you grow up in a democrat household you're like 70 times more likely to be a democrat and so these things are ingrained in you from a very early age to where you're less likely to listen to a third party in the first place so i've always recommended because i was a libertarian for a long time and I argue with communists and anarchists and all of these people pretty consistently. It seems like it only makes sense for them to actually just run within a party, run within one of those two parties. You don't have to have all of their beliefs. You don't have to agree with them on everything to run within their party. Uh, Obviously, Bernie Sanders doesn't really agree with the Democrats, but he ran as a Democrat and did fairly well. Donald Trump obviously doesn't agree with Republicans, but he runs as a Republican and he does fairly well. You're only capable of winning, like realistically, you're only capable of winning if you run within the two parties that are already existing. That's fair. But um, I st- once I find a third party, though, I'm going to stand by that. If my influence grows to the point where people are listening all worldwide i'm like hey man we're just gonna put pressure on these crazy democrats and crazy republicans to the point where hey if a third party might win one of these days but i think it starts small at the very least so if you really believe in one on at the local level which is more and more you know i dive into politics i do think the local and state elections are probably the most valuable you can kind of participate in that's a good starting point if you really believe in one so that's just well, can that's I, just why not run within one of the two parties like donald trump has completely reshaped the republican party within a short period of time uh bernie sanders has very much reshaped the democratic party by putting pressure on the other people and running within those two parties why not just do that i think it's more realistic i agree to do that it's your chances of winning is obviously you know nine to one at that point but my thing is, especially with the, the current stage of social media and the internet, I do see a route possibly in the future where the level of influence and the level of engagement that a third party, especially a, a strong one, could grow in influence to the point where they could potentially enter and make that certain impact. Because I, although we recognize that the... Um, the left and the right, we recognize the liberal and conservative values. I think there's a lot of power to kind of have that middle force in there to kind of mediate the the craziness that especially considering we're pushing further and further from the to the left and the right. So 
realistically for the next maybe like next 20 to 50 years sure but i wouldn't discount it to the point where it's never possible so if we completely discount it to the point where third parties never exist then obviously it will just die out i don't want it to die out so i would keep on pushing towards that until the influence potentially grows to its level that i think it can based off internet influence i think that's the most powerful thing so that's just okay. uh my point for it yeah i think currently like third parties only exist for the politically extreme like uh you know the green party or america first party or the libertarian party like all of these are very you know the communist party these are all very extremes that are on the far edges of the overton window whereas um there's a lot of room for moderates within the republican party and the democratic party I, i'm a centrist i'm a moderate i'm uh fully on board with people running within these parties and i think that they're more likely to get support within those parties and i don't see the value of going outside of the parties because you're you're not only is it pragmatic but it's the only way that a third party will ever actually gain traction is running within these parties winning and then once you're the incumbent then you say now i'm running at with this other party right now i'm going to be part of this other party and because you're more likely to win already because you're the incumbent now you're giving this other party a lot more attention and a lot of the people who already vote for you and who already like you are more likely to move over to that party with you yeah i, I definitely think that's a solid strategy to go about it so in terms of the, like I said, the realistic nature behind it, it makes the most sense to do that. I just will never give up on the option that a third party could be impactful. And when it when it comes to specifically the the individuals that are out there, because when it comes to appealing to the audience nowadays, a lot of that is very, very fluff. A lot of, uh, from at the very least, from because we don't really see a lot of uh, Democrats appealing to anybody as of right now, um, Joe Biden more than likely is going to kind of be the same candidate for moving forward. But the Republicans are a good example to it, where we got people like Vivek, Donald Trump, just absorbing the populace with their rhetoric. And people like Nikki Haley, for example, who is a lot more... more nuanced takes into a lot that's kind of moved towards the center a little bit more she's not liked as much because she's giving ground so if we actually have a place for those people who quote unquote giving ground which i think is just in compromise which people are like leaving kind of uh, moving away from for some weird reason if we give them an actual position of power where these people can ha can uh, express the the power of compromise and to the point where it's strong enough to make an impact at the uh you know state and federal level i think that would just play better to ensure that the the extremes on the left and right get less powerful overall because people are going to start realizing yeah i probably don't want them in the in, in office so if uh, they don't want to give me a proper left candidate or right candidate i'm just going to vote for the third candidate who is a lot more nuanced and actually makes a difference. So, but they need to gain power. So that's the biggest thing right now. They don't have that power, so they need to gain power. But all of that, with that said, all of that plays into the bigger conversation, like we said, and that's populism. 
Because a lot of the people that are getting grasped onto kind of believe in this type of rhetoric. So to start out, what do you think, what is your definition of populism? How, how do you see a populism in America? I'm really sorry. You cut out a couple of times, or I cut out a couple of times while you were talking. Let me go make mm-hmm. an adjustment real quick. I'll be gone for like 30 seconds. I gotta go. Let me, I got a computer that's downloading a bunch of stuff. Maybe that'll make this a little bit easier. So give me just one second. No worries. No worries. Uh, I could cut all this out. Meanwhile, I'm looking to my right, and we got the 49ers playing the New York Giants. And look at that. The 49ers. Kind of like feedback to the people who are listening. Because I might not cut this out. You might be football fans, and you want to hear some amazing football takes in addition to the political takes. The 49ers got stopped 4th and 1 by the New York Giants. Are the new, And the 49ers only scored 3 points. Giants only scored three points without Saquon Barkley in the game. Is the Giants returning to action after the embarrassing Dallas Cowboys loss? Or are the 49ers not as good as we thought and the Cowboys about to run through the NFC all that we don't want? You know, we care about America, but we do not care about America's team. You know what I'm saying? We want America's team, Cowboys, to lose. That is, that's what we want as, as a people. I think that's very valid. You know, we'd rather anybody else win than Jerry Jones, the Cowboys, and that star in their helmet. So, so far, based on what I'm seeing, because I have it in the background, pretty good game. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. San Francisco, New York Giants. I do. I, I'm, it's unfortunate that I made these uh, podcast episodes on a Monday and Thursday. Football time. It's crazy. What is wrong with me? Oh, crap. Dom is uh, having, oh. some issues. having some issues back there. With that said, Giants. A lot of a uh, couple other sports takes for you guys. I'm uh, just informing the people. If you guys want to get into some uh, nice agendas, here's a few. Here's a few for you. Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. He's going to be, he's going to surpass Tom Brady. I got you. I got you, people. We got Kirk Cousins is about to go off this season. By the time this comes out, uh, the game this Sunday would have passed, and I'm going to assume Kirk Cousins outplayed Justin Herbert. That's what I'm going to assume. If I'm wrong, don't laugh at me. And, um... Anything else that's uh, on my agenda list? Oh, Tua. Tua's nice. The Justin Jefferson's a beast. Matthew Stafford, top five quarterback in the NFL. All all very important stuff. All very important stuff. Can't wait for the NBA to come out, too. We'll see Luka Doncic do his thing, of course, and uh, dominate in the NBA. And uh, the European League. Let's see how they kind of match up. Um, not the European, the European players. See how they match up moving forward with the people like Steph, LeBron, and KD retiring. This begs a bigger question. I guess I never had this conversation on the podcast. Probably should have just because it's an interesting conversation. In terms of the NBA players and winning the NBA uh, championship, does that make you the world championship? And for me... Obviously, I'm biased towards America, America, even though we lost in FIBA. I think if you win the NBA championship, you are world champions. 
My rationale behind this is one, the best players in the league are in the NBA. So the the world talent is in the NBA. Just because it happens in America, that doesn't really matter, right? And second, the, the talent for the NBA compared to talent across the world is so much greater. It doesn't even make sense to kind of put them in the conversation as potential world champs, right? It's kind of like the... If uh, the NBA versus the D League or G League or the NBA versus college basketball. So I think the gap is so large that there's really no point in making any kind of declaration that any team is even comparable. So those are my rationale between for the NBA being world champions. If the gap wasn't so large, I'd be more inclined, kind of like football or soccer or baseball. But uh, since okay. it is... Of course. I'm so sorry, dude. I have an emergency. An animal got into my house and it's oh, damn. My shit up. I'm so sorry, dude. Jeez. I don't know why this is going so poorly. I feel so bad, dude. It is literally there's uh, a raccoon and a massive snake fighting in my house right now. What the heck? <laughs> what? That's such a crazy circumstance. I, I didn't think I, I would hear that sentence. I don't. I have no clue how they got it. Raccoon and a snake. Is it like a yes. big snake? It it is it's a it's black, it's like this long. I'm not sure what's going on. I uh, can barely see them because they're literally fighting each other. And I I I've tried getting somebody else to deal with it, but there's a little probably deal with it. I'll probably call animal services to deal with that. Probably. I gotta call animal services. Um, That's crazy. Not gonna lie. Let's All see. right. Give me just a second. Okay. I, I'm gonna try to like just close them off somewhere, and then hopefully they'll All come right. back, so, or or hopefully I'll get somebody else to deal with it. So give me just a minute. All right. Let me know the update. That is a crazy circumstance. Well, people are listening to the podcast. You are um learning, or you're at the very least hearing some very very interesting situation at the I, at least i'm giving you guys great content in the meantime i'm uh i'm helping you all out into uh what is going on in uh in uh in the world i guess that begs the bigger question since i'm here um we may or may not get into the populism topic depending on how he handles the situation with the raccoon and the snake which is actually insane in my opinion jesus christ but future podcast episodes to kind of look forward to we got episodes regarding um you know more climate change stuff we've got an episode revolving around trans issues in the future um i and we have never really talked in depth about trans issues but that's something that we're going to dive into in the future of course and um we got episode talking about outrage culture so we got a, a lot of very interesting things to kind of go over in the future <sighs> kind of crazy not gonna lie raccoon and a snake who would have imagined who would have imagined uh we also got an episode where we're gonna do a tier maker of presidents in throughout american history so 
where me, Paul, Jonathan, your favorite three uh, amigos are going to kind of do our own rankings for the presidents of the United States of America from George Washington to Joe Byron, right? So that should be fun as we uh, see kind of our, as we diagnose every single president. I think that would just be a very fun opportunity to kind of talk about all the presidents, kind of inform the people on the presidents, their accomplishments, their downfalls, and then provide interesting perspectives from all across the spectrum on those presidents as well. So stay in tune for a lot of different content. Again, you can watch the full video version of the episodes on Roku.tv. Make sure if you have the app on, you know, your Roku device or on your uh, Fire Stick, you can find um, this full episode on the Planet X Network and you can see the entire thing. If you are listening, again, you can rate it five stars. Go to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. If you want to come on the show in the future, reach out to me. If you want to support the show, you can go to the Patreon and support us as we continue to grow um, in impact and our influence, all that good stuff. Rate it five stars, like, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitch, Kick, Rumble, subscribe to the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Oh, not snake and a raccoon. I don't. I don't even know. Honestly, I would even be mad if he had to cancel. I'd be like, "Hey, bro, <laughs> handle what you got to handle." Because if there was a snake and a raccoon in my house, in my crib over here, one, if I had a gun, I'd be like, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you don't want to be in my crib? What do you think this are? Bang, bang. Bang, bang, raccoon, snake, gone. Okay? Raccoon, snake, gone. I would not try to run because one ra a raccoon might have rabies. Snake might be poisonous. I'm not trying to go to the hospital. Hey, let me tell you a little story, ladies and gentlemen. I can waffle. I can filibuster. I'll be great in politics. I am pretty good at it. Thank you very much. I had a situation. And don't feel sorry for me. But I'm just kind of explaining the situation. One day I was eating food late at night. I ordered some food from DoorDash and had a Mountain Dew. And my side's starting to hurt. So my initial response is hopefully it'll pass. I'll, you know, take a, you know, diarrhea or something and it'll be fine. But it didn't. So what I what did I do? I ended up throwing up because it was a you know, it just was annoying me. And then obviously uh, I started taking some painkillers, went to sleep. Next day, still kind of hurt, went to the ER. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a lesson for the people. I was foolish enough to think that I would be able to survive without medical insurance until next year. I said I was going to get medical insurance next year. So I was like, YOLO, I'll be fine. You never know what might happen because kidney stones runs in my family. I didn't know what I had. So I went to the ER because the pain was annoying. It was a very annoying pain. Could I survive? Maybe. Depends on your pain tolerance. But it was really annoying. I didn't want to deal with it. So I went to the ER. I thought it could be like appendicitis or something. So I went to the ER. Went in there. The pain disappeared, honestly. For the, I was like, okay, I'm kind of fine. I don't know. So they put an IV in me. 
They did a CAT scan, and then they told me, oh, you have kidney stones. I'm like, oh, okay, great. I don't need surgery, but kidney stones, okay, fine. So with that said, they gave me, I was supposed to come for a second appointment. I was supposed to get medication. I didn't get any of that, but I've been fine. Suffice it to say, my medical my medical bill after getting a CAT scan and IV was 3000 something dollars. I just got a CAT scan. $3,000? Like, what are we talking about? So that's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. Do not, do not, do not bank on uh, medical insurance. It's just not worth it. Cat scan for three thousand dollars? You know that's that's crazy. Crazy. Were you able, uh, were you able to figure out your raccoon snake situation? <laughs> no, but right, I think we're good for right now. So. Okay. Well, well, uh, we got like thirty so minutes. Sorry, no, you're good. I feel horrible about this. Hey, I said, this is what I said to my audience. Hey, if I was in the same situation, I'll be, I don't even know if I would finish the show. Honestly, Snake and Raccoon, what are we talking about? I might have to pull up, you know what I'm saying, and get get the dealt with. It might be some violence in that household. That's yeah. Just oh, crazy. I can't even tell what kind of snake it is either. It was like pure black and uh, was like, I don't know, maybe like two feet long. So... I was, I was not having it. Yeah, I would not risk the snake potentially being venomous and a raccoon potentially having rabies. So it's just not worth getting near. It's really not. I don't blame you. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I think I closed everything off. I don't know where the hell they went, but I think we're good. Jesus. Um, but okay. Well, I was filibustering about my experience going to the ER and just getting a CAT scan and having a three thousand dollar bill. So, you know. Wow. Right? Right? That's, so th- Yeah, hospital bills are rough. That's what I'm saying. Hey, man, we got to fix the healthcare system to an extent. All right. Well, with that said, I think we were talking about populism, and um, I think before you got that crazy situation, you were about to define what populism is for the people? Yes. Okay. So um, populism is a outside uh, – it's like an outsider or a group of outsiders, people who are not happy with the establishment, who want somebody new to come in and kind of shake things up. Um, they feel like normally the establishment is working against them. They feel like the establishment or the elites, these are a bunch of people who kind of have it made. They've tailored everything to help them and not really to help the people. And so populism is mainly about the people, helping the people, and that it's this uh, – this grassroots movement to make sure that the elites and the corrupts aren't able to continue getting away with uh, everything that they've been doing apparently for, um, for as long as they have to, to get something this, uh, this complicated set up. So, yeah. So with that said, um, why is populism, a problem for America. Are you enjoying today's podcast episode? I really hope you do. And I really hope you enjoy the fact that I have an amazing guest talking with me and having this great discussion. If you, as an individual, personally have your own podcast and maybe you want to have great guests on your podcast as well, well, I got a deal for you. 
In my description, there is a link to something called Podmatch. Make sure to join that link through my affiliate link so you can sign up to get matched up with other podcast hosts and podcast guests so you make sure you are never missing an episode without a productive guest to have an amazing conversation with. Podmatch is similar to any other kind of matching site for the most part, and it's super easy you. Just $6 a month, you can have a guest for each and every podcast episode that is tailored to your specific topic. So again, join the link in my description and join Podmatch now. Um, I would say populism is a problem because it has inherently this us versus them dynamic to it where it's the good guys versus the bad guys the people the working people are always the good guys the elites or the establishment are always the bad guys the um the people are selfless and moral and want to help everybody and they just want the best for everybody the elites in the establishment are selfish and immoral and evil and they only want for themselves they only take they do not give and I think this is, uh, I don't think that populism is necessarily bad everywhere, but I think in the United States it's necessarily bad because we have checks and balances that are already set up to deal with these sorts of situations. We have checks and balances that are meant to take care of these issues. We have people, we have ways of outing it. We have ways of firing people. We have ways of um, changing everything up. And we do all of this through a democratic process to where we're voting in the people who are supposed to be controlling these situations. If we're continuously voting in people that we don't trust, that are all corrupt, and that are not helping us in any way, we're kind of the ones screwing up. We're kind of the ones who are voting in the wrong people, and we're the ones to blame more than anybody else. I don't think it's ever this... Uh, you know, good versus evil situation. I think it's a lot more complicated. And I think populism is almost always rooted in a misunderstanding of how our institutions work. Yeah, I am. I'm very much with you. Um, and populism obviously kind of leads into this very black pilled way of viewing society, right? Especially considering current day how much people think that the entire structure is corrupt where it's either a, the the people on the right think the entire structure is a bunch of deep state officials that planned everything to kind of be as you know power hungry as possible or people on the left who thinks the entire structure is all racist and they hate all minorities and all people that are not old white men so this kind of black pill view of the the structure of the establishment that you're referring to just doesn't lead anywhere it doesn't kind of you're not gonna have a a you're not going to kind of have faith that you can make it better because you're gonna think that it's always bad in every situation so at what point you're just gonna give up you're not gonna be a part of any solutions and what makes it really bad for america especially is that people are manipulating the populace with this rhetoric i'm gonna call out two prime suspects right now donald trump and vivek are so annoying with this stuff when i watch them every single time that they just like oh man everything's corrupt all of them are shady rich greedy hungry oh i didn't get voted in Oh, the, the entire election was a fraud. Oh, every single um, bureaucrat 
is corrupt. So it's like if it, they they make it sound like, oh, I'm like the moral superior character. So that's why you should vote me in so I can fix that. But in reality, they're just manipulating the people to get their votes. So how do you, what do you think about populism and how politicians are using that to kind of uh, manipulate the, the voters? It, like you said, they're voting in the wrong people it, that they say that they shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, they're going to prey on people's insecurities and they're going to prey on their misunderstandings of institutions. So like I said, I mean, actually understanding the checks and balances in the first place and the way that these are supposed to take care of these situations, there's this um, there's this cartoonish viewing of government or elites with these people sitting in a boardroom all talking about how they're going to screw everybody over and how they're going to take more money from them. And they're all smoking cigars and laughing about, you know, how, how much they love hurting all of the working people when in reality, it's, um, it's a lot more complicated. Normally there are different reasons for why people are pushing and pulling. So something as simple as healthcare, right? Wanting to get in a system of healthcare, um, Bernie Sanders was somebody who was pushing for health care. A lot of people will use this as like, oh, he couldn't do it because the establishment wouldn't let him. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorism that goes into uh, populism to make it to where like you always have to have these things happening behind the scenes that you don't have evidence for, that there's no smoking gun for. There's just a little crumb that can lead you to believe that this is a possibility and therefore it's definitely happening. So like things with the deep state, things with, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, the DNC taking the election from him. Um, Donald Trump didn't really commit crimes. It's just the, you know, the elites coming after him and trying to, you know, take him away. Um, everybody's working for Hunter Biden and trying to protect him. Like it's all conspiracy theorism. And so, if they actually understood how the systems worked in the first place and how they were supposed to take care of us and how they're supposed to take care of these issues, I like I think that they would feel a lot more safe and secure in the institutions and with the establishment that we currently have. Yeah, I agree. And two perfect examples, one from my own experience, because we had a uh, individual come on the podcast um couple weeks ago maybe um he came in he talked about the deep state on the podcast and me and my co-host were having the conversation listening to him of course but a lot of uh, connections he was making i felt like those were very strong connections to make with very little evidence like he made the connection that the you know a few people back in the day were investing in companies that got very big and because of that they they were they made specific companies big for their own profit so they can benefit it now in in the current society and we just went down the line of questioning i was like isn't it reasonable to just invest in in a company and somebody's going to succeed and somebody's going to fail and once mm -hmm. we went down that line of questioning in terms of reasonable and rational actions you'd be like okay maybe i'm going a little too far maybe that makes sense that just because they did this and it led to this doesn't necessarily meant they they, that they intended for something corrupt. Another great example is a big content creator, i.e. Destiny. He did something similar where he had, uh, I think his name was Rob on, and they went through the entire Burisma situation. He just listened to him. 
He went down through everything. And then you just ask some reasonable, rational questions like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but like to make these grand corrupt conclusions, I don't think there's enough evidence to kind of lead to that conclusion. Isn't it rational mm-hmm. that they, uh, that, um, you know, certain individuals thought that they were doing something good for whatever company. So after once you really, once people kind of step back from their, their kind of black pill populist mindset and really just break everything down at the, the you people start realizing how reasonable, rational that these things are in reality. And that's, that's definitely a big, um, big indicator of how we probably should treat these circumstances. So that leads into this next question for you, Tom. What do you think is the best way to approach these populist people who are big into populism, especially those people who think the entire system's corrupt? So what do you think is the best way to approach those people? It's a hard question. You just mentioned destiny. I just talked to him about this last week where I'm saying it, it feels like very unsatisfying when you ask like what is the solution for populism the only real answer is education just educating people on how checks and balances work or how our institutions work um normally when we have other extremist groups a lot of it is about like giving them somewhere to go right if we're talking about uh far-right anti-semites though a lot of times we're thinking okay just give them a community where they can feel like they're a part of this community where they feel accepted and then they'll start to like conform they'll start to you know um want to change the way that they talk about things or the way that they think about things so that they feel like they actually are part of this group but with populism that's not really a solution like they're not they're not getting banned everywhere they're not getting pushed out of uh normal conversations they are um they're not getting you know censored they're still very much getting like a lot of attention and it's uh it's not an easy solution but really yeah the only answer is to just try to give them the education that they need so things like i mentioned earlier you know bernie sanders trying to get health care right well the problems with his healthcare, the type that he wanted, is why it didn't get through. It's not that nobody wanted people to have healthcare. It's the specific healthcare that he wanted, the very extreme type of healthcare that he wanted. That would have been well. They'll always bring up like all of these other countries have free healthcare, but not that. None of them have anything extreme as what you're bringing up. And so, it's. Um, but it, like that, they don't believe that. They don't believe that there's problems with the type of healthcare that he's trying to get through. They believe that just nobody wants people to have healthcare, and so they want to make sure that big businesses are um, are able to continue to price gouge everybody, so that they can help big pharma and like, uh, you know, there's this whole conspiracy that's happening behind the scenes where everybody's shaking each other hands to make business deals instead of it being about actual political problems in the process. Yeah, ultimately, when it comes down to these situations, I agree. Education is very important. Having conversations with these people, if you can, can be very important. The yelling match, and I, I'm a victim of this too. When I hear something so stupid, I'm like, bruh, 
shut your mouth like stop talking to me so uh, you know we get into that space but sometimes you got to take a step back be willing to listen and kind of break down how they kind of reach to this conclusion in the first place and a lot of these times you know you can provide a rational alternative that actually makes them thinking and maybe i'm going a little too far it can actually have an impact but with that said populism obviously would only exist because of some dissatisfaction with the system with individuals in power of course so do we think populism can be guided in a more appropriate manner because at the very least america you know i still think it's the greatest country in the world but it does have its issues and one thing that we could definitely point out is that the rich are getting richer the poor are getting poorer the middle class is shrinking so if we guided populism a little bit more effectively and had a uh better solutions put in place other than tearing apart the whole entire institution and remaking it that's super unrealistic is there a way to turn populism into a useful tool to kind of get things done um i like i said i think that there are inherent problems with populism that lead to conspiracy theorism to where i don't think it can actually exist in a beneficial way I think that a lot of the things that people who are populists want, people who are voting for the, um, for, uh, you know, regular politicians want as well. They, you know, they want healthcare. Maybe they want a wall built. Maybe uh, they want to get rid of corruption, or they want stricter um, regulations on. Um, on money in politics like there's a lot of things that everybody wants everybody's in favor of that they believe they can get done without all of the conspiracy theorism uh that like once you buy into this irrational idea of all of these things happening it's going to lead up a ton to a ton of other irrational thought processes as well like Bernie Sanders supposedly lost both of the elections because the DNC was rigging it against him and they were making sure that he couldn't win and they were cheating the whole way. And Donald Trump lost because the uh, because the Democrats were saying, I guess the DNC again were rigging the election and making sure that he couldn't win. And so um, there's always these like <clears throat> these things that you don't really have evidence for. You don't really have uh a rational thought process for but you believe it because it you you've already bought into the idea that even if this was happening you wouldn't know about it nobody's going to tell you about it the news isn't going to tell you about it the elites aren't going to tell you about it nobody wants you to know about it so you get a crumb of evidence and you're like oh they let a little bit slip now we know now we know exactly what's going on we have proof now be, even though it's not proof. It's just like a, a you know, um, Pete Buttigieg the, and the shadow app against Bernie Sanders in, uh, what was it, 2020 where they, or 2019, where everybody, there was a issue with the voting app and it went down for a little bit and everybody said that it was Pete Buttigieg cheating and that he was working with the shadow app company to take away votes from Bernie Sanders. And like, yes, you've already bought into the idea that they're all working in the shadows and they're working behind the scenes against you and that you'll never know about it, even if it is happening. So you'll always believe it's happening anyway. So, cause you can't know if it's happening or not. 
So I guess the one of the final questions before we start wrapping things up is to kind of play a little devil's advocate is I remember Webb, you know, peeping the Daily Wire, you know, our favorite uh, conservatives on, on the platform. They were uh, talking about Donald Trump's rise to power and how he's able to appeal to the people so thoroughly. And one of the things I actually agreed with to an, to an, uh, to an extent, and that's that the growing dissatisfaction of the government from the people and Donald Trump's rise in power gave them the, fur, uh, the perfect lightning rod to kind of attach to. That Donald Trump kind of lay, kind of bled out that whole populistic rhetoric regarding all the institution being as bad as I personally, as a populist would think, personally think it is. And we know that the, the government has done bad things in the past, although a lot of the things that people point out is very much very complicated and very nuanced. We know that certain corrupt people, corrupt, like done some of the worst things you know we got people like mm -hmm. you know epstein for example doing certain things we still need that list by the way we'll we get that list probably not we'll never get that list that never that list is never appearing we still need that list so we know these things exist and obviously like you said before it kind of fuels these populist rhetoric to the thinking that oh this circumstance is just an example of the whole institution and everybody being part of the institution as being corrupt but we understand where the sentiment came from and with the addition, with the introduction of people like Trump and Vivek and with the addition of the Internet and social media and all this rhetoric getting espoused much, much more. This is obviously getting growing in, in power. So the, the question to kind of just get to the point question is, do you think it reasonable that people got to the point they are in terms of their populist uh, mindset considering based off um, the the trajectory of the country up until now yeah sure that's why i say the populists uh prey on the insecurities that people have because those insecurities normally exist for a reason they're not getting paid enough they don't have health care they do need help with their mortgage they do need help with uh their kids they do feel like immigrants are coming over and taking their jobs like there are a lot of reasons for them to have these issues it's just not something that necessarily needs to be dealt with through populism populists aren't uh i mean as we saw with donald trump they're not any more efficient than anybody else and if anything they're less efficient because they're not capable of working within the system within the institutions they're not capable of getting along with all of the people that they just said were corrupt and cronies and that were, uh, you know, the evil bad guys twisting their mustaches. Like they're not going to be able to get along with those people and get legislation passed once they get into office. So, um, stop right there. Yes. This is a little mini ad. Don't skip. Don't skip. All I want to tell you right now is that at the end of the day, when it comes down to all the discussions I want to have, I want to be able to communicate with you, the audience. I want to be able to relay a message and receive a message from everyone and try to come up with these great solutions that I keep on talking about. So if you want to be part of the community, make sure you go to the website, 
and sign up for not only the email list so you can get weekly emails from me for the podcast episode, informational sessions, all that great stuff, but also sign up to go on my Discord so you can be part of the discussions, debates on my live streams. So be sure to go to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com and go to the email list, sign up, and go to the Discord and join the server. Now back to the episode. Your best option is to go with the people who actually have political power, who are who are actually capable of doing these things, and put a lot of pressure on them to maybe move a little bit quicker. At the end of the day, understanding is obvious. There's definitely the first step to compromise, not political violence or rioting and all this stuff. Because when you get that black pill, that's what it can lead to, and we know how damaging that can be. But last thing here, Tom. If you were in front of a populist and, you know, he was super black pilled, all the elites suck, all that good stuff, of course, what would you tell this populist? How would you converse with this individual? Uh, I mean, it's going to be on an issue by issue basis. Um, depending on what we're talking about, we're going to go over uh specifically the conspiracy theories most of all and talk about the fact that they don't have evidence for these things that they um that they <clears throat> they don't have the proof that they believe that they have and that all of the things that they're told that is happening all of the dots that they're connecting aren't actually connected and normally like that's what i try to go over is just try to get into the facts get into what they believe is factual what they believe actually happened and normally we'll go one by one down each thing and yeah kind of try to rationalize it with them and get them to see the holes in their logic all right fair enough fair enough so that is basically all we got today very interesting episode of course uh again i did not think i was going to hear anything about a snake and a raccoon today that's that's pretty crazy. Uh, hope you get that dealt with. You know, what I'm saying mm -hmm. that that's a hopefully one of them kills each other. You know, make it easier. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I have probably, my money's on the snake. Probably my money too, but I'm rooting for the raccoon. You know, it makes it easier yeah. to deal with a raccoon than a snake, as we know. Snakes can get in anywhere, and we don't want that. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you have any final words before we wrap up the show? Uh, no, I, I guess. It, Generally, like I said, I think that debate and discourse are going to be the best ways for people to learn. That's the way that I've learned things and changed my positions over time is kind of listening to other people talk about things, uh, listening to people challenge other people's ideas on things. And then that gives me the opportunity to know, OK, maybe this one aspect I never really thought about this much or I didn't go look for the evidence on this or I need a little bit more education on this topic. And this inspires me to go look into these things more and find more information. And so I think that always watching people have disagreements and have those debates, that's always going to be the best ways for people to learn. All right. Excellent. Well, glad to have you on, Tom. I think this was a very interesting conversation and experience, I'm sure. Um, great discussion. You can find all his information on my website uh, to find Tom and his uh, YouTube channel and any other information that he added to his profile. Check that out, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com to see all of that, of course. Hope you guys did enjoy today's episode. Rate it five stars if you did. Like and subscribe. Check out all the uh, all the other content. 
a lot of great guests in the future so stay tuned enjoy check out the full video version on roku.tv y'all have a good one take care and